This morning we will be looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. John says in verse 1, he said, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that we have your glorious word to guide us through our life in this wicked world that we live in. And Father, we do pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds to behold glorious things from your word this morning, that you would instruct us by your word, and Lord, that you would give us a heart to continue to believe and to obey your holy word. Father, we thank you that we're privileged to be in your house this day, and we pray that you would be glorified today amongst your people and all that we do in your midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Well, in 1 John chapters 4 and 5, and we've been in chapter 4 for a while, John really brings to completion all his teachings on love. And if you've been here for any of the teachings, he's taught a lot about love, God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. And what he does in these first three verses in chapter 5 is that John points out the relationship between saving faith and the experience of love. In verses 2 to 3, John is showing us that we prove our love in our obedience to God's commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what John basically is telling us is that you cannot claim to love God or love his children without keeping his commandments. First John 5, verse 1, John says, everyone who loves him who begot, and the one who begot is the father, he said he also loves him who is begotten of him, which I basically think he's speaking of all the children of God. Now, some would say he that is begotten of him speaks of Christ, but in the context, he's speaking of if you love God, then you will love his children. Now, the commandments tell us how we are to love God. The commandments tell us how we are to love the children of God, what it looks like. And I just want to read a passage from Romans 13 that talks about the commandments. And the Apostle Paul quotes the second table of the law and compares it to us loving one another. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, 8, he says, Owe no one anything but except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, he who loves another has fully satisfied, has done all that the law demands. And then in verse 9, he says, for the commandment, and he names the second table of the commandments, he says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, 
You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 10 caps it off. He said, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, love fully satisfies or has done all that the commandments command us to do. So in 1 John, John is telling us here that in order to love one another and to know how to love one another, you must obey the commandments of God. Now, in these first three verses in chapter 5, John joins the two, what theologians call the two greatest ingredients of New Testament Christianity, and that's faith and love. He joins them together. And so in verse 1, he declares the nature of saving faith. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah, he said, is born of God. So this is basically the, con the content and the result of saving faith. Believe, now, when he says whoever believes, that's more than just being intellectually able to assent to this truth. No, when he says that you believe, he's talking about embracing with the heart that Jesus is the Messiah, embracing with the heart our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, he says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. So it's not some empty, dead conceit, you know, consent, but it's where you embrace the Lord Jesus with all your heart. And then verse 2, he says, by this we know, or you could say by this we can be sure that we love the children of God when we continue to love God and to keep his commandments. It's amazing because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he said, now the purpose of the commandments is to love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And I would put it in my word, the, base, the, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, purpose of the commandments is to produce a pure heart from a good conscience and from sincere faith. So Paul is telling us that the commandments and love are united together. You cannot have one without another. And then in verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, to keep them simply means that you practically and strictly observe the commandments of God. And he says here, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, the commandments of God are not oppressive. The commandments of God are not hard to bear. They're not hard to keep because if you are an obedient believer who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, the commandments of God should not be a burden to you. They should be a joy and a blessing to you because it shouldn't be something that you seek to avoid or you grudgingly obey. Now, John is not saying that the commandments do not require effort. And he's not saying that you won't be challenged in order to keep the commandments. But what John is saying is, is that the commandments of God are not like heavy burdens that are hard to bear, which the Pharisees laid on the consciences of men in their day. They're not man-made oppressive laws, you know, that they never intended to keep themselves, but they would put them on the shoulders of others. One man says it's like this. He said, Obedience that is prompted out of a love for God finds that God's commandments are not a crushing burden 
which exhausts one's strength, nor does it destroy one's sense of freedom in Christ. The commandments do not destroy your freedom which you have in Christ. A lot of people say that before a lot of times, but it's because Christ has set us free. And one thing he has set us free to do is to love and to delight and to obey the will of God. Part of your freedom is the fact that you love God. And, and, and God has set us free by sending his son that we may love and obey him and delight in his commandments. Now, believers find that new life in Christ that is implanted in them at the new birth brings with it a desire to do the will of God. And what believers find out is that love and obedience to God's commandments are rewarding and they are delightful. You know, if you're a Christian, you will realize that God has given his laws for your protection and for your well-being. And you will realize that God's commands are guidance to what the will of God is. His commands are rules of my life, how I'm to live in this wicked, evil world. Give you an example, Romans 12, 2. The Apostle Paul says, and the commandment of if we said it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what the commandments are. And then Romans 7 12 says, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, it is just, and it's good. So just a little exhortation this morning. If you claim to be in Christ, and you spend all your life fighting against the commandments of God. And if you're a Christian that make the commandments burdensome to yourself, the word of God said there's an element in your life that is missing. You say, what is that element? Love. Because when you are born again by the spirit of God, you are, giving a, you are given a love for God. And if you love God, you will love his commandments. Now, it's, you will not love them perfectly and everything, but Jesus said in John 14, 21, said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So, you know, you need to examine yourself, <clears throat> yourself and see if you're in the faith and are you truly born of God. You say, why would you say that? Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You said, but what makes this yoke easy? And, you know, Christianity is not easy. And what makes this burden light? Because when God saves you, he gives you a love for him, his law, his word, everything that he is. Do we break his law and stuff? Yes. Do we have bad days? Yes. But you run back to him in repentance and you make amends for that law that you have just broken. But you never lose that love that he gave you when he saves you for his law and for himself. You know, I think sometimes people make their own life burdensome because they get this imagination. Well, you know, the church I go to, they, pe they preach legalism and they preach this and that. And it's so hard to do. And it's this, that, or the other. I was thinking about it the other day. How would you like to live in one of these third world countries and try to serve God? Now, you want to see burdensome? It'd be burdensome to just meet and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to remind you of some of the promises of the new covenant. And I told Pastor Jim I was going to read some of the things that he taught us a week or two ago. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. Because this kind of ties in with what John is saying. 
He says, for this, the writer of Hebrews says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And here's what God says he will do. He says, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Okay, he's quoting from Jeremiah 31, 33. And you remember Pastor Jim pointed out that we need to take pay attention to the I wills because all the I wills are very important because the I wills is the promise of all the work God says he's going to do under the new covenant. And he says here, you know, he says in Ezekiel 36, which is a picture of the new birth and the results of the new birth, Ezekiel 36, 25, and I'm just reading these to you. He said, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Now think about that. No man has the power to do that. Only God can do that to cleanse you from all your filthiness and your idols. And in verse 26, he says this, and there's another I will. He said, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And that heart of flesh is soft. It's a soft, pliable. It's a honest. It's a good. It's a loving. It's obedient. It's a willing heart. How can you be a Christian if you don't want to be a Christian? And I'm going like, you should be willing to serve God. You should be willing to do his commandments. And I'm not saying that we perfectly do them. I've had to fight with that myself in my life. But I want to do it. Because when God saves you, when he says, I will, he puts the want to in you to do his will. And he does that to everybody that is saved. And so he says he'll put, he said, I'll put my spirit within you, and that's his Holy Spirit. And I like this right there. He said, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I love the I wills. The only reason why there's any Christians in the room this morning, because God willed. That's it. He said, I will. You know, and you say, well, don't, don't get me into this works doctrine and everything like that. This is not a works doctrine. This is something God does to a people. And once he does this to a people, they will obey him and they will love him and they will love his holy law. Now, you know, at this church, we don't put the Ten Commandments up on the wall and things like that. But one thing we will do to you at this church, we will teach you the will of God. And we teach you the will of God because that's how you get built up in the faith. But we also teach the will of God and we teach it on the premise of the gospel. Because if we didn't, then we'd be preaching legalism. And, you know, we put the gospel first. And we're telling you that if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've been saved and washed in the blood of Christ, you will love the commandments of God. Not perfectly but you will love the commandments of God. So true salvation is the sovereign, merciful work of God. And because, as Pastor Jim pointed out, that he says he will, then because he will, we will be made willing in the day of his power. I think back to my regeneration days. Everything changed. But God did it. I didn't change myself. A man asked me at work one day, he said, how did you become religious? I said, I didn't. I said, God made me a new creature in Christ, and he really got mad when I told him that. But, I mean, th there's no way I could have changed myself. 
you know, but God stepped in sovereignly and he saved me. But the word of God says that all the true saints of God will be kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God promises that he will do that. And you know what that means? That's the fulfillment of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Because you will be kept to the very end. God says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will give you a heart. He's basically saying, I will give you a heart where you will will and you will want to love me. Now, so I'll repeat again. If you profess to be in Christ and you spend most of your life kicking against the pricks, is what Paul would say, but fighting the commandments of God and the will of God and you have no desire to keep them and they are a burden to you and they are a burden to the way that you live. Ask yourself, have I been born again of the Spirit of God, or are you trying to survive on a dead confession? Because as you read the book of 1 John, he's continually using that phrase, born of God, born of God. You know, it's not just a confession, which you need to have the confession, but God does a work. And you need to examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith because new creatures in Christ will delight in the will and the law and the word of God. Now, I know I live in a new age and a new day. I am so old-fashioned. I get sick of myself sometimes. <laughs> but the youth of this day, they struggle too much with Christianity. You say, well, you need to make it delightful. And what they're saying is you need to make it more fun. Listen. It can be fun, but it can be rough. You know, there's a struggle in Christianity. But Jesus said, whatever kind of struggle that you have to go through as a Christian, my burden is light. But, you know, he said it's light. You know, it's a light struggle. And it's a light struggle in America compared to what people have to go through in these days that we live in. And I'm not talking about our youth so much here because we really have a good youth group in this church. Now, y'all say amen, youth, because I can say it but once. <laughs> No, we really do. We really do. And uh, we stayed to eat last week, and we come out when we was eating, and I looked up, and they were having a prayer meeting. I'm going, youth having a prayer meeting? They were. And they were praying for the messages and things like that. Why? Because God has done a work in them. It's the work of God. But as you grow in Christ, it should become natural to love the law of God. And I'm not talking about spiritual warfare, which every born-again child of God is going to be engaged in till, till they die. But we all will be engaged in spiritual warfare simply for the reason that we have been saved and changed by God. Because God has put a desire in our heart to love and obey his commandments and to love and to obey his holy son who died to make the new covenant possible for us. Now, so what do you say? What am I saying this morning? This first point. Well, true conversion does not bring burden or oppression. Y'all with me this morning? True conversion brings delight and deliverance. When you come into the kingdom of God, you should come in with a smile and not a frown. Why? Because when God saves you, He takes that frown away, and He gives you a smile and you know we use scriptures and he puts a new song in your mouth and he puts joy in your heart 
and you say, well, you don't really know what I was going through. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what anybody goes through, but I know one thing. When God does a work in you, you should be a happy person. And I'm not saying you won't ever go through more things, but happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We should be a happy church. Why? Because when we get converted, this work God puts in us puts a desire in our heart, puts a love in our heart, puts a joy in our heart. Every time we hear the word of God, when we hear the commandments preached, and everything that happens in the house of God, we should be happy about it. I, I would hate to think that I had to drag myself to church every Sunday and to, to make this a burden. No, it's a joy for me. It's a joy for me when our pastors stand up here and, and preach. It's a joy for me to see your faces. You know, it's just a joy. But true conversion, it does not bring a burden or oppression. But what true conversion is, it is a delight and it is deliverance. The Son has set us free. The Son has set us free to love the commandments of God. And because we love the commandments of God, we love God and we love each other and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, when one is converted, I want to read a few passages out of Psalm 119. And uh, because when one is converted, he's like the psalmist who delighted in the law and the statutes and the commandments of God, which amount to simply the will of God. And I'm just going to briefly read a few out of Psalm 119 because we have the heart and thoughts of a truly converted man or woman. So just a few passages. Psalm 119, 97. The psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. He loved the law of God. And then Psalm 119, 14, he said, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And I just want to point out the word rejoiced in the way of your testimony. He said, as much as all riches. And then verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways, and I will delight myself in your statues, and I will not forget your word. That are the words, those are the words of a converted man or woman in this world. And he says, then I'd ask you the question this morning, when's the last time that you delighted yourself in reading the word of God? When was the last time you delighted yourself and got excited over the glorious truths in the word of God as you meditate on the word of God? You know, I know people struggle with devotions and things like that, and there's times I have to push myself to do it. But you know what? When I finally decided I'm going to go do it, I just love it. And it brings joy to my heart. And I'm going like, how would I ever do without this? I mean, how could I ever make it without the word of God? and the, and the, the uh, precepts of the Lord. And then Psalm 119, 23, he says, princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statues. And then he says, verse 24, because your testimonies are my delight, my counselors, my delight. In other words, my counselors, they're not my burden. They are my counselors. And then Psalm 119, 47, he said, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. I read those because Psalm 119, as you know, as we read through it during the mornings, 
is loaded with loving and delighting in the word of God and the precepts of God, his statutes and the testimonies of the Lord. And the reason why we delight in it is because of Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. So the message this morning, if you can hear me this morning, get the burden out of your life. I'm not talking about burdens of light that we go through. I'm talking about the burden of having to read the word of God. The burden of having to come to church. It should not be a burden. Now, there's days it's hard to come. You know, there's nights I don't sleep. The, the night that I don't sleep, I didn't sleep last night. It was last night. I said, why is it Saturday night that I can't sleep? We got six other days in the week I can sleep like a baby. Come Saturday night, I had to fight. And uh, I said, I know there's an enemy, and I know what's going on. But still, you know, I can take sleeping pills. I can take everything, and I cannot go to sleep. But you know what? I made up my mind. I'm going to be here. If Bernice had to drive me and I'm sleeping, <laughs> coming down, I will come to church sleep. You know, I can sleep in the back, and they can wake me up after this over. I just want to get in God's house and hear the word of God some kind of way. But anyway, John is saying that when you're born again by the Spirit of God, God puts it in you to love and obey his laws. The last thing I want to look at this morning, 1 John chapter 5, John goes on to write about the conquering power of the believer's faith. He says in verse 4, he says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. He says our faith, or the King James would say, or even our faith. Now, other translations will say it this way, all that have received new life from God conquer the world. One translation said, all that have received new life from God need, must needs to triumph over the world. And one translation, every child of God continues to conquer the world. So what he's saying here is that the victory that defeats the world is our faith. That is the power that has conquered the world, which is our faith. 1 John 5, 5, he said, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God? And here's the way you could translate that. He says, who is the victor over the world or who is the world's conqueror but he that believes that Jesus is the son of God or that Jesus is the Messiah? So we see two or three things out of here. Number one, we see every born-again believer is in conflict with the world. I don't care whether you like it this morning or not. You're at odds with the world. You are in disagreement with the world. You know, the world, the world that John speaks about, we are in disagreement with that world. We're on a different page than that world. If you notice, the world's pushing out more atheism and more, you know, challenging the word of God. You know, God said he made a male and female, and they're challenging everything in the word of God. But that's a system that is run by the devil. I went to a doctor the other day, and first thing they asked me on this day, what's your pronoun? I said, me. <laughs> well, it, that's my pronoun. You know, they had some crazy stuff on there. And I'm going, when did we start doing this? 
you know, and you had all these, you know, qualifications and stuff. I said, boy, this is going to be a rough day in the days coming if they keep this up. But that's the world. That's the world. Now, I'm not hating them or nothing like that. I'm just telling you what happened, you know. But what John means when he's talking about the world in this letter, and this is what the world is, is all the forces and powers that are hostile against God and his people. It is an organized system that is hostile, hostile against God. It is an antichrist system that we live in. That's what the world is. And that's why we can't be friends with the world. I like what Calvin says. Calvin says he defines the world is that whatever is adverse to the spirit of God. And look, and he tacks he this on, including the depravity of our nature. Why? Because he's saying that because before we get saved, we are worldly. Before we get saved, we're citizens of this world. After we get saved, we're no longer citizens of this world. But it's because that we are worldly before we get saved. So, you know, Calvin saying it's adverse to God's spirit, including the depravity of our nature. Now, John points out that the world is not the friend, but the spiritual enemy of every Christian. James says to be friends with the world, you will be enemies with God. First John 2.15 he says, Does not, do not love the world or the things in this, in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this is what he's not saying. He's not saying that you do not love the people in this world, but that would be, contradict what we just said. You need to love your labor as yourself. No, he's talking about the material. He's not talking about the material universe, but he's thinking here in spiritual and moral terms. You know, there's nothing wrong with the creation. There's, you know, people in the world is not what John's talking about. What John does, he sees this world is as an organized system that is in rebellion and hostile against God and the things of God, the will of God, and the commandments of God. And John is telling us as Christians, do not love this system. Let me give you one reason why not to love it, because Galatians 1, Jesus died to deliver us from this present evil world. So if God saves you and cleanses you from all this and delivers you from this world, what an offense to God it is when we run back to it. When we run back to the world for its advice. You know, tell me how I need to look. Tell me how I need to think. You know, I don't want them to think that, you know, that I'm odd or some kind of, you're going to be odd. If you think, if you don't think like the world, you know, you immediately odd and we live in the oddest time I've ever seen. But he said, don't love this world. He says here, he says, all that is in the world. In other words, all that it has to offer you is not of the father. It does not come from the father, but it comes from the world. And he's talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Every bit of that that the world offers you is against the holy will of God. And all of that we are to mortify and avoid in this world because the world with its lust and its cravings, all of it is passing away. So it's useless to be on the side of the world. Well, second thing he talks about is the victory of faith. And when he talks about the victory over the world, he specifically attributes it to the believers of faith. Now, if you're charismatic, you'll be mad this morning, but 
every born again believer have received the gift of faith. You wouldn't be a believer if you didn't. You have the gift of faith. And this faith that God gave you when you were saved is a victorious, saving, conquering faith. Did y'all hear what I said? A victorious faith. I'm going to put it to you in my words this morning. God didn't save you to lose. God saved you to win. And he's got it set up where you will win. Now listen, there's days I'm wondering if I'm losing or winning. I don't know what's going on. But you know what? As long as I'm pursuing him, I'm winning. As long as, you know, people go like, I think I committed the unpardonable sin, or I don't know if God loves me no more and everything. I said, well, then why are you concerned? You're winning. He put it in you to follow him all the days of his life. And this faith that he's given you is a conquering faith. Now, the Greek word for faith is pistis, and I'm not going to say much about it this morning, but that simply means a firm persuasion or to be firmly convicted. It's just a noun, but that noun only occurs once in all of John's writings. But he usually uses the verb believe in all of his writings. And I think half of the 100-plus occurrences of the word believe are found in John's writings. So our faith is the faith that's given to us when we're born again by the Spirit of God. And so when you are born again by the Spirit of God, he gives you the gift and me the gift, the ability to believe. You do not need some supernatural faith or some special faith to overcome the world. When he saved you, he gave you a faith that can conquer. And when he saves you, he gave you a faith that if you will use and exercise this faith, you will conquer the world. But you have to exercise it. Romans 8.37 says this, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now this faith that he gives us, it can grow. It can become stronger. You know, we can become stronger in the faith. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith. And this faith right here is ongoing. It can be used your whole life to be victorious over the world. And you're going to use this faith over and over and over and over again to conquer the world. But it'll do it if you'll use it. Luke 17, 6, when the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith, this is basically what Jesus told them, and I'll read you the rest of what he told them when he answered them. Jesus is telling them this. It's not what, how much faith you got. It's what kind of faith you got. You say, well, how much faith do I got? Don't worry about how much faith you got. Worry about the kind of faith you got. Because if you get the kind of faith that God gives at regeneration, when you're born again by the Spirit of God, this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith. And it really leaves us without excuse, but you know, we all, we're, we're weak and feeble. We lose battles and we get into all kinds of sorts. But this, one thing he says is, is this faith will do anything that needs to be done to get the victory over the world. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and plant it in the sea, and it would obey you. So this faith is given to you at conversion. It's the victory that defeats and overcomes and conquers and prevails and subdues the world. Now, 
I want to emphasize one thing again. It's the initial victory of faith at conversion. But this faith, we have to exercise it throughout our lives, and we have to continue to depend on and trust in God to conquer and conquer and overcome the world. But John is not saying that everybody who is born of God is necessarily all the way victorious all the time because sin, the devil, and the world, there's times we get weak, discouraged, there's times we lose battles. But the failure in that situation is not on God's part, but that's on our part. Now, the new birth gives us, if I can say it this way, the potentials of victory. Because it doesn't give you the actual victory because you have got to overcome, and that depends on your faith. One man says this. He says the new birth implants in us all the necessities for an overcoming, victorious life. He says, but it is faith that puts these things to work because God has equipped all his children to win. So you're not destined for defeat. We say, what are you saying this morning? I'm telling you this morning that your faith will take you through. And it's because God gave it to you. And the potentials for victory is in that faith. And God does not do it for us, nor can we do it for ourselves. But we use that faith, and he's equipped us to overcome this world. And I have to, you have to be careful how you say things because, you know, I would say it this way. I said it takes both God and us working together, but I don't mean that, you know, that we have any part in it. We believe by the power. We when we believe, we tap into the power of God. That's the best way to say that because it's, the, it's our spiritual weapon by which we overcome temptation. It's our spiritual weapon which we get the victory because without him and his power, we can do nothing. But that's the victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith. And that's the initial victory happened at conversion. Our brother Tim's here today, and he'll tell you about how crazy people get about that passage of Scripture. You know, when I was a charismatic and when I was in the charismatic, we would take that Scripture and we would think that we would just overturn the world. You can get everything you want, you can do everything you want, and all these things, you know, taken completely out of context. But John says in the past tense, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And when he says it in past tense, he's talking about when you were converted, God gave you the victory. You say, but some people have more faith than others. Well, some people's faith has grown more than others. But the, vic the one who has the least amount of faith and I said this morning because you want to understand it, has a victorious faith. The least in the kingdom of God will not lose. They'll be in the kingdom of God when it's all over with. And we get none of the glory for what happens as we use our faith. But that initial victory was won at conversion. So we see two things here before we close down. This conflict with the world is going to be an ongoing conflict. You're going to have to use your faith. You're going to have to be firmly persuaded and convicted that the word of God is true. And you've got to hold tight to the word of God. Because when you're holding to the word of God, you're holding on to God himself. And he's taking you through this journey, through this world. And this victory, this victory is possible by our faith. The conflict, it gets great at times. There's times it eases off. But you will always have the victory. 
And so John, what he's emphasizing is so much, not so much the persons who conquer, but what he's basically emphasizing is the new birth, the divine life by which we get faith and by which we are able to overcome and conquer and get the victory. This is a blessed passage of scripture, 1 John 4, 4. John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, I think in this passage here, he's talking about the Gnostic heretic, because they were very worldly and were, were in a lot of sin and things like that. But he says, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If God is in you, you're not going to lose. You say, why are you telling me this this morning? Because trials are going to keep coming. And we're going to still have to fight. And Calvin says this. He says, we can no more be conquered than God himself. He said, because he has armed us with his own power to the end of the world. Think about that. You know, you sit down and you say, you think, I, what if I fall away? What if I do this and everything? If you've truly been born again by the spirit of God, you will not fall away. I can confidently tell you that. Now, when you get to the end, you might be bruised up and banged up and drugged through the dirt and everything else. And one man said, that, said God dragged you into the kingdom of God while you were kicking and fighting. I don't know about all that, but I, I know one thing. If that mustard seed of faith that you get at conversion is there, you will endure to the end. Might not be pretty, but you'll get there. And that's why we have hope to, for our brethren here that go through a lot. And we have, you know, hope for everybody that's weaker in the faith than other people. But, you know, like we're not in this contest seeing who's got the most faith. Now we all trying to make it. And if I looked at my faith, I would say it's less than a, must, than a mustard seed. It's much less. But God is good. And what he has told me in his word all the potentials for victory is in that faith. Right. You say, what are you saying this morning? He saved you forever. You will live forever. And you will not lose. Well, if you're an unbeliever to this morning, you are a friend of the world. You may not want to be, or you may not think you are, but you are a friend of the world. And that's, that's, that's because you're born into this world with a nature that loves the things of this world. And when I tell you that you're a friend of the world, I'm going to tell you why I tell you this. Because the world controls and dictates your thoughts, your desires, your ambitions, your priorities, all your goals in life, the world dictates. And your allegiance is to this ungodly world and that's what I would call this morning, you are in spiritual bondage to the world. You say, now, what's so bad about that? I'll tell you what's so bad about it, is the world is under the sway of the evil one. And this world that you love so much, that you're so excited, look at the technology, you know, we've got domes now where the things pull out and go back, this world is something else. Read Revelation 18. Babylon will fall. It's coming down. But that's the kingdom of Satan. And Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus said it. That he's a ruler of this world. 
And so I'm telling you today, there's only one way that you're going to get the victory over the world. It said, he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he says it that way because, because the, uh, the heretics did not believe in a literal incarnation. But the solid foundation for you to get victory is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you trying to be saved from this morning? From the world, the flesh, the devil? I thought about it yesterday. I said, Lord, thank you that you saved me from myself. Because that's, that's worse. Because everything in me loved the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and out of the mercy and grace of God, you get this faith that will not lose, but will hold up to the end by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the victory that overcomes this world. And Lord, we realize that it was a, a major price paid for this victory. And we ask you this morning, for those who are still connected to the world, set them free and save their souls. And give them faith to overcome. And Father, we thank you that you did it for us. And we know that if you could do it for us, you can do it for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.